Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast. My name is Joe Thomas. I am the Echoes Everton FC correspondent. Alongside me here in the office in Old Hall Street, I've got my colleague Chris Beasley, and we've got Gav Buckland, who has somehow been the only person in the whole of the UK who's managed to find a cold spot during the past week. <laughs> probably necessary to have a bit of an apology, because it's been a week since we, we haven't done a post-Bournemouth pod yet. And as bizarre as that is, all three of us just found ourselves in situations last week where we just couldn't wow. quite get involved, um, which isn't particularly ideal. But, you know, I think given a, given, given the stress of, of, of what Everton have put us through for the last 10 months, I think we all needed a little bit of time to decompress after that. Gav, you've had a few days off. You've had a week to kind of get over the fact that Everton are definitely a Premier League side for next season. What's it feel like living without the burden of the stress that they've put us through for pretty much the last 24 months? How are you feeling? Um, relieved, but I think there's a realism there from everybody, isn't it? That, you know, it doesn't take away the our, our, our issues in terms of finances and ownership and that type of stuff. So it, it, it it's it feel as if we've been given a bit of breathing space on this and then I think that that's good we should all enjoy that um, but as we'll probably discuss on this pod and pods on the summer there's still there's still issues there's no within, within the club but mightily mightily relieved and you you, you know it gives you time to think about well, what might have happened and think you know the worst case scenario and you, when you see what it was like in other grounds on the final day particularly at Leicester and so that could have been us and you know, if you if you compare the two um, atmospheres in both grounds, it was, it, you know, it just shows you how I won't say lucky. Well, we were a bit lucky, I suppose. You know, how grateful we should be that we've got Premier League, um, you know, Premier League certainty for 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 next season. So relief, but a bit of realism within that, Joe. To be honest with you, like like a lot of Everton fans I've spoken to, Chris, will we just think? Just think back to that Bournemouth game a minute. I mean, one, one thing, I mean, Gav kind of alludes to the scenes at the end of the final whistle on, you know, with Leeds, Leicester and Everton and the contrast in emotion. But if we go back to the very start of the game on, on, on Sunday, yeah. I mean, it really was an interesting atmosphere at Everton, wasn't it? Because, I mean, I remember sitting there and I've been sat there for a good couple of hours yeah. because, you know, I... I tell you, Chris, Chris jokes, but I was kind of almost too nervous and too anxious to do anything of any note before the game uh, against Bournemouth. So I got into the ground early and rather than, you know, we're very fortunate we get food in the press box. I basically took a, a Greg's meal deal and went and sat up in the stands because I just couldn't, uh, I just couldn't cope with the growing, yeah. the growing pressure and the, the small talk in the hours before that. But I mean, you know, it, it was such a big game and there was so much pressure, yet really in Goodison Park it almost felt like a, a party, it almost felt like more of a celebration. The way in which the crowd got up for that at the start of that match, you know, you know, it, it really was something that was spectacular, wasn't it? I, I thought yeah, um, um I was gonna say fortunate, but that's not the word at all. Um I, I was there in ninety-four, I was there in, in ninety-eight, and obviously I was I was there on Sunday in a professional capacity. And similar sort of scenes again, especially in 94, I remember the noise, the wall of noise that hit you from those Evertonians when they, they came out. Obviously, there was no fireworks back then. I know you were quite startled yourself when those fireworks went off after Everton scored. Um, but um, at the start of the game, yeah, I'm sure that, um, Leicester City's fans were getting behind them in a big way. Same with Leeds United, although obviously they fell behind quite early on. But I, I imagine the noise at the King Power Stadium, the noise at Ellen Road. I'm, I'm not having that. That was as loud as what it was at Goodison Park. You were saying, Joe, there were colleagues covering 
um, the the, uh, the Battle of Atlantic stuff across um, the water mm. over there in Wallace. He's sick of the hear it on the other side of the river. Goodison Park was so loud that that day, and yeah, it, it, it was. It, it, I remember um, going back to Wimbledon again, '94. The, the match of the day commentator watching it back that night, and he said, "You know, a set of supporters." who have come to cheer their side and they don't know where it's a here it's a welcome fit for champions from a group of supporters who don't know whether they've come to cheer or to see their side buried and that's what it was like mm. again at Everton against Bournemouth um they were giving them absolutely everything i think that was the great disappointment after the Newcastle United result where Goodison where the fans gave so much and it still wasn't enough that night and that was the fear, fear amongst Evertonians that you know the the fans alone can't get them over the line but yeah, I was there in the streets on on County Road before kickoff when the street when it was you know the traffic was having to be diverted and yeah, like I can understand what you say, but not party atmosphere in terms no. of a celebration, but yeah, they're absolutely giving it everything that that that, that set of supporters, and of course it it it, it means so much. Shouldn't belittle or downplay what it means to other clubs. But just for Everton, given that you know it's one of the few things that Evertonians can cling on to, this proud record of continuous football in, in, in the top flight. So it would have been such a big thing for Everton to slip out of their best relegation in 72 years. And uh, they, they came so mightily close. But yeah, it, 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 it was something special in that respect. And it just makes you sort of wonder what things might be like if Everton just got a bit of success in, in, in the near future, you know, for these fans to actually have something to cheer about. Well, that's it. I just thought, obviously, you used to wear pie, but it didn't feel like the Grim Reaper was kind of hovering over Goodison Park at, you know, 4.29 on that Sunday, you know, last Sunday of May, did it? And I think just, you know, we've spoken a lot on here and obviously, you know, a lot of places have about the role that the fans have, have played in keeping Everton up in the last two seasons. And I think during the darkest moments of this season, in particular, I think Brighton, I think Newcastle, those horrendous second half collapses. You know, one of the things that's really got to me has been the silence around Goodison Park, almost the muted acceptance that it's a club that possibly doesn't deserve to stay in the Premier League, regardless of what happens in the weeks that follow. And you sit there and you listen to the, the resignation that, that, that is almost vociferous within that, deafening within the silence. And I kind of almost wondered whether or not Everton fans would, would have enough to get them to carry on getting themselves up time and time again. And then you see the fans at Leicester and you see the fans at Bournemouth, uh, sorry, at Brighton, you see the fans um, at Wolves and you see the fans on, you know, on that final day, because that's it. Like, I feel like it didn't, Goodison Park didn't feel tense at 4.30. You know, it felt like there was a, there was a positive atmosphere behind the players and that must've really, really helped them because we know it's a side that can get nervous. And obviously, it didn't help. I think this story of Everton, you know, season to some extent. But obviously, as that game started, Everton didn't get the early breakthrough. The fans stayed with them. All right, there was a little bit of, you know, it went a little bit quiet just after Leicester, you know, went one 0 up, and, and that news filtered through. But even then, there was a bit of a rallying cry. And one of the things I again was really impressed by it was almost quite fitting. Wrote this in a match report at the end was obviously we're getting towards that hour mark. We know Leicester are winning. Everton of done what they've done a, a few times under Daesh, where it's clear that they have the determination and, and, and the willpower to try and get a positive result. But sometimes they just don't have the ability. You know, it's time and time again. We, if they can't over, overpower a side through determination or sheer will, quite often they don't have the tools to unlock it. Now, I was just starting to get nervous just before that goal came. And again, the same Rosie is my match report. I just... I just remember, I think the goal comes in about 57 minutes, something like that. And a couple of minutes before that, the crowd just kind of spontaneously erupted into, I think it was Spirit of the Blues or something like that. It just kind of went around the ground and it just seemed quite fitting that, you know, as the crest of that wave, you know, crashed onto the pitch, it was Decore who then pops up and scores that goal. Gareth, when, when, that, when that goal went in, I mean, again, something that I think we first line in the match report, it was a goal that came from nothing but meant everything. <laughs> I mean, how relieved were you? <laughs> That's an understatement, isn't it? Really. Um, well, I'm not relieved. It was because you know a goal either way can can change things. You, you, you're excited, and that was reflected, I think, in, in the direction of the crowd. I mean, the noise was unbelievable. It reminds me, and Chris, I'm sad before Chris's time, but he'll know what I'm talking about. As a goal, 
in terms of the the, the, the setup of it and the execution, though, he was a far cleaner strike. It reminds me of Andy King's famous goal against Liverpool in 1978. Chris, that was at the park end, and that came that came from a ball lumped into the area, came back out to Kingy. God bless him, he was stand at the edge of the area, sat up nicely for him, and Kingy hit it, but he was a far less cleaner strike than Zakori. Kingy saw the hit through the, the sides of the ball, and it, it skewed off into the corner. It wasn't as clean as strike, but it was basically an identical goal. And equally important, um, it was his first arguing for seven years. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was next. I was relieved, relieved. I was excited, or just relieved at the end. Really, um, it wasn't a great twenty odd minutes. That was it between Leicester score and enough score. And you know, you, you sit, you're sitting there and you're thinking, as it stands, we're down. You know, and and I think that was just horrible time. So yeah, relieved and. But the, the noise was, was unbelievable. I've heard lots of people say that it was the loudest they've ever heard Goodson. And, uh, you know, I can, can't think in recent memory hearing the louder, you know, loud and crowd noise at our home. And, um, yeah, yeah, excited a little bit, relieved a little bit, but still still tense at the, in the immediate aftermath. Because, because, then it's yours to lose, isn't it, Then, And that's the thing, is... In some respects, that was the thing at the start of the game. We we had to win, didn't we? That was I know Leicester that one, but you think you've got to win to score it. Now we've got the victory that we need. It adds an extra layer of tension on, isn't it? Really, it starts to lose an extra pressure. So yeah, relief, but um, what a noise from the the crowds and the say for me brought back memories of uh, Andy King's famous goal um, in nineteen seventy eight. But yeah, it was. I it was a great strike, wasn't it? Oh, some some strike. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a fantastic strike, to be fair. Yeah. One of those that stays hit. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know you know the other thing as well, which I, I think fair play to the like Bournemouth didn't see it didn't come slide down at all. They did, you know, they, in fact they came to it was a bit of a Mourinho S performance at Anfield in 2014, wasn't it? Of chronic time wasted and keeping the ball and stuff. And the reaction of their players went to Corey Stort. Says everything like the goalie was like banging his hands into the into the floor, wasn't he? And stuff they were actually gutted they conceded, which I think for the integrity of the Premier League and stuff is, is really important and shows you that, like, you know, to get a win was you know far more difficult than what we, we thought it'd be because Bournemouth came to, to spoil and had their occasional moments of um, you know, where they could have could have grabbed the goal. And if, as, a, as a neutral, we're saying, well, that's what Premier League football is about, isn't it? You want to see that reaction from Bournemouth players. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a great goal. Fair play to Decore. I bet the only thing I'd say is, I bet he wish he was doing his contract renegotiations after that goal, yeah. the week after that goal, <laughs> rather than the week before, wasn't it, really? Might have added on another, you know, I renew my contract, another, you know, put 20 grand a week on top of that, that I've earned you with that goal. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, well, there's fitting it should come from Decore, I think, because no player has done more for Dyche since he came in at the back end of January than Decore. Obviously, brought in from the cold. And I think I, something I wrote after the game saying that five goals and two assists from Decore in the 15 games he played under Dyche, that's contributed in those games more than more than 20%, of, more than a fifth of all of Everton's Premier League goals in the whole season, which, again, is a stat that really just shows that the poverty of what we've we've witnessed really i think rather than than anything else but um but yeah you're right gav i think obviously good for the integrity of the game although not good for the nerves i think i i i've been following Borussia dortmund throwing away the bundesliga against a side with, with little to play for the day before when they needed a win at home and thinking surely that's going to happen and and they didn't do it and i was thinking it can't happen at goodison as well can it you know yeah, it's, yeah. So, the side with something to play for and all in its hands goes and and, and loses it all. Chris, I mean, once you'd uh, dusted the mud from your knees after going onto the pitch after that game, um, just to clarify, he didn't. <laughs> very, very much in, in, in the press seat still with me. I mean, what was, we'll, we'll skip over, you know, we've written a lot about it and obviously everyone has probably to a degree heard about what Deitch has said after. Very kind of, very similar to his approach to the whole of his tenure really, Everton yeah. so far, where, he was he was very contrary almost. If you um, <laughs> you, you know, if you ask, if you tell him, if you say, "Oh, Jordan Pickford played really well today," you'll say, "Well, Michael Keane had a good game," or something mm-hmm. like that. Then he just, 
I remember I, I was the one that asked him the first question in the press conference after, and he asked him what he made of it, and his, his response was, it's a horrible day. And he's yeah. like, I, I get what you're saying, and you're right. And I think that that level of, 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 of realism is what is necessary at Everton yeah. this summer, because it perhaps was missing last summer. Um, but if, when you were going away from the stadium after finishing yeah. all your work following the game, um, you know, for that night's uh, website and the next day's paper, what, what was the... What was the overriding feeling that it was going through your head? Well, I think for, for all of us, it was a great weight lifting up our shoulders mm. because it, whether it's in professional capacity, whether, it, you know, for Everton's fortunes, you've got to remember it's not just the team did a piece um, today about comparing to Man Manchester United's Wolves and how are they pale in significance to what, to what Evertonians are going through. Um you know, we had many conversations, Joe and I, and actually shared this journey. I said, we don't want to have this particular journey again throughout, throughout the seasons. And there were many times when we pondered the various things that might happen or wherever it might be going next, next season, our own roles. And then think about all the, those hardworking people at the club. Okay, when teams get relegated, it's often a fire sale of players. But I think the closest comparison you got, and it's something you looked at, Joe, wasn't it? It was a... Aston Villa in 2016 when they went down and uh, 500 people lost their jobs. And so it's just such a great weightlift of your shoulders, not just from the team's point of view, but just for everything, that clarity that it brought to, to all our lives, both professionally and, and, and personally. And that, that the fact, I think it was disgusting that they got so close to that. Um, now, before the FFP measures started to bite, you know, I, I doubt there's been a team in football history as... Um, squanders as much money to get as bad as what Everton have done because of, like, as we've spoken already in the pod they've, they've been there in 94 and 98 but they were very different circumstances they didn't have somebody like Farhad Mashiri at the helm who's been able to spend all this money and like I said to a larger extent squander it as he admitted himself last summer um, they've not always spent larger amounts of money wisely so just to be in this position it was absolutely disgusting really and Let's not sugarcoat the situation as Sean Dykes himself didn't. He said, you know, big club not performing like like a big club. Um, this is the worst equivalent points total in Everton's entire history, 135 years of playing in the Football League and the Premier League. They've never performed as badly as they have done over the past season. Um, there's fewer points in last season, obviously, which was the joint worst in the club's history until now. Um, many a year. That wouldn't have been good enough to keep you in in, in the Premier League, and uh, it, 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 major changes are required now to to avoid a repeat of this. And and you know we can't just have platitudes and say you're going to do something and nothing actually happens. Major change is required now because you cannot have a repeat of this situation. I think Sean Dyche himself was more or less portraying that that message in, in, what, in what he said. Mm. Uh, obviously, it was a message that we made. You know loud and clear on the front page of the following day's echo and obviously that's something that we've been looking at doing for quite some time really and I think that there might have been a few points in the weeks prior to the final game of the season where it could have been um, something that we could have done but by that point you didn't we didn't want to do anything that would distract away no. from the, the the relegation battle whatsoever and we're still in it um, but hopefully most of you will have seen the front page of the Echo on the Monday morning, survival but not success, time for change at Everton. And I think that, you know, there was a new story within it. And this is we did this at the end of last season, say if, as soon as Everton survived against Crystal Palace, we put them on the front page and said, you know, things need to change. Yeah. Obviously, they haven't, no. you know. And I think, you know, in, in 12 months, that was the fifth time Everton had been on the front page of the Liverpool Echo, you know, and... Right. Um, yeah, which isn't always an easy thing to do, and obviously, you know, it comes with consequences and things like that. We understand the, you know, the repercussions these and, and and how these things can be interpreted by people at the club and by others as well. But I think it comes a point, and and really, we are at that probably now where Everton can't continue in the same manner in which they've been doing so for the past few years, can they? Because they were lucky last year to get a second chance and then to blow it in the way that they did and end up in the same position this time round is just unforgivable, I think. And and they can't afford a third strike. They can't afford to do this for another season. So, you know, it's very difficult to see making Everton making any progress at the very least an attitude change within the, the hierarchy there, which accepts that, 
you know, it feels very much like there's a, a desire to almost say we've been affected by foul wins from afar that we've had no control or bad luck has led to this situation rather than bad management or bad stewardship. Well, whether you look at the points tallies or whether you look at the accounts, yeah. you know, it, it none of it makes a positive reading. And the reality is I think that Everton do need a degree of change within the club, within their attitude towards the fans, the way in which they're running the club. Um, and also they need fresh ideas and fresh innovation because it's clear that whatever's going on at the moment just isn't isn't working, is it? Whatever the change might be, and we do anticipate there probably will be some degree of change um, this summer, though, again, we have to be careful because Evan have got to this point of exclusivity arrangements with people before and things have happened last summer. Um, but Gav, I mean, don't want to throw your hospital pass here, but... <laughs> but Obviously, I mean, what's your you're you're one step removed from us. You're you're not in the newsroom. You, you know, you you're you're a fan. You go to the games. You, you you've dedicated years of your life to studying and following, and your emotions and your nerves have been spent on Everton Football Club. I mean, you know, what what do you think needs to happen this summer? Idea. I mean, do you think it's time for a bit of, for a few fresh ideas, or do you think it's yeah, that's very much a hospital pass, uh, Joe. Uh, <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, the point is, I've, I've raised one point here, which I think is important. And, and I said this at the, the, the pod before the Bournemouth game, this feeling that Everton as a club are too big to go down and followed by the coast, this should not be allowed to happen again. As if, as if we've got a divine right to be in the Premier League. We haven't. As I quoted you before the, um, in the last pod, According to the Deloitte Rich, Rich Premier League clubs list, richest Premier League clubs list, outside the big six, the seventh richest club, West Ham, survived with two games left. The eighth richest club, which I think was Leicester, went down. The ninth richest club, Leeds, went down. The tenth richest club, Everton, stayed up by a goal. So, you know, we, we have to, as, as fans, we have to get away from this this thing about, oh, we're too big a club. We should, we should be facing this as if we're like a Man United or a Liverpool. We're not. We we are we are we are we're part of a group of clubs whose revenue is are, are pretty much similar. I mean, we only get forty million pound or more than Brent, Brentford say, and that gap can easily be closed by good coaching. So in and it's it's funny that outside outside the outside of the big six, New and and taking away uh, is we've got obviously the longest period of time in the Premier League, seventy years. The next highest is West Ham with eleven. You know, so the chair referred to this on match of the day that, that if you're not in the big six, you've always got a chance of being relegated because you're all around the same. You're all getting the same amount of revenue from telly, commercial, all that type of stuff. So at some point, if you're badly managed and you have a bad couple of seasons, underperform on and off the pitch, you probably go down. And that's nearly happened to us over the last two seasons. So this we need to get, first of all, assess on where we are as a club. Get away from this thing about we're too big to go down. It's it's it shouldn't happen. Of course, it should happen because it's part of the ebbs and flows of football. We are not too big that we can, you know, like a big six club, you can stay in the Premier League, ad infinitum. So that's the first thing I'd say. Some realism around that. What needs to happen in the summer? Well, it's it's limited, isn't it? Really, I think, and, and you know, you, you encourage to think by maybe outward investment coming in and bringing in some external expertise. Uh, I think that that will be definitely beneficial. Um, I think also as well. I think, I think hopefully with Thelwell being there a little bit longer than what's he done now. Thelwell is it eighteen? Was it two years? Is it eighteen months? Yeah, February um, twenty-two. Yeah, yeah. So he's had a bit more time to to um, you know to 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 sort of organise things off the pitch. Hopefully, get a more, more defined decision-making process to exclude people who shouldn't be made, involved in football and decisions. That needs to happen. But that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, we've only got a limited amount of money, haven't we? If that, I mean. And the one, the one thing we've forgotten in all of this about, I heard about like there's going to be a big transfer summer that isn't is, if we have got cash for the moment, cash is not going to be spent on players coming into the club in the summer. It's well-known fact to think that the likes of an Arnold and McNeil, those transfer fees weren't paid in full or front where they were paid on the drift. So there's going to be money going out to the club during the summer to pay for players you've already got at the club. So that 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 we need to factor that in. So 
you, what what needs to change, and I think, is 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 is, is smarter recruitment, isn't it? Really, you know, to avoid some of the missed missed opportunities last year. And I think that smarter recruitment comes with Thelwell having a bit more experience at the club, and hopefully Dice having a lot more input as well as the manager. And I think that's that's the key relationship for me because we're, got, we're just going to have to work smarter, aren't we? Mm. Um, and be more imaginative in our in our dealings. And I think also what we've not done properly is identify gaps and fill them. We all saw the centre forward fiasco last summer. You know, we ended up with no left back. You know, we're filling right back at the end of the season is to avoid issues like that by a smarter recruitment process. Some of our loan dealings last year weren't great, weary, and um, work smarter. More power to Thelwell and Dice will be my uh, my start my starting point really for the summer. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Obviously, we've already started to see some of the thought processes play out in the past week. That you know, that there are departures on the way. We knew that Yerry Mina was going to go. Obviously, he posted. It was always looking likely, but he posted on Instagram the night before the Bournemouth game to say that that would be his last. We know that Everton haven't triggered their options to buy Ruben Vinagre. That's not a surprise. He'd be barely featured at all when he was fit under Frank Lampard or Sean Dyche. Connor Cody is another one that's, that's leaving. Um, again, not triggered the option there. And then Asmir Begovic posted on his social media yeah. channels over the um, over the weekend to suggest that, well, to point heavily to the fact that he's leaving as well. I mean, Chris, just of those, um, just just of those decisions so far. Yeah. I mean, what? And obviously, the other one that we do is we know that Decore is staying because yeah. that triggered the option to extend his contract by a year. And also, just another one. Sorry, uh, Niels and Kunku's gone Saint Etienne because they had triggered the deal to sign him. I mean, what? What do you think? What's your biggest takeaway from that first week of summer so far? I mean, is any have any of those decisions surprised you? I think the one that's obviously the, the, the most surprising, but it, it, I, I can't say that I am surprised, but it was, it was certainly the one that could have gone either way would be Conor Cody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, like I say, Vinagre didn't play in the Premier League after August. He like, went out in the League Cup. Uh, so he ended up injured. Sad to see Asmir Begovic going, if, if that's the case, as it obviously he looks like, as, as we were discussing off air before we came in, it's probably a good a number two. As you as you could have, and maybe he's looking for more regular football elsewhere in the latter part of his career. But yeah, Connor Cody, it was a deal at the start of the season that looked inspired, didn't it? I mean, you were thinking, what's gone on at Wolves? Is, is, are we missing a trick here? It's too good to be true. Um, a, a, an option to bring him in permanently for believed to be about four and a half million as well. You know, an absolute model pro. He'd not missed the game, had he, for about six years at the time in the Premier League, and. Uh, England internationally obviously went to the World Cup as a, as a non-playing squad member, but uh, again, because he's such a great guy around the camp, he was seen as beneficial in that respect. It's It looked like an absolute shoe-in probably for over half the season at Connor Cody, that it was just going to be a formality mm. that that would become a... Well, it was. I mean, I think yeah. Frank basically said that, didn't he? As, as long as Frank Lampard was, was there, Connor Cody signing permanently was you know it's a, a, a when is this going to happen when are yeah. they going to push the button on on this rather than if um obviously Frank Lampard's not there anymore hasn't lived some time yeah so uh, actually everything changed and not straight away because he, he started didn't he on the on the dice but was it the Arsenal away game when he, he dropped him brought Keane in and then Yeri Mina ended up finishing the season alongside James Tarkovsky who um we were looking today I think was he the only Premier League player to Outfield player to play every minute <laughs> this season, so he was the like he was the ever present, and then alongside him it, it changed. So at the end of the day, when Cody was no longer a regular, no, he obviously came back and played the last game of the, the season when they switched to the back three again. But yeah, it, 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 it he was no longer a regular, so I suppose you couldn't be too surprised that and that one didn't end up on line. I mean, he was probably hugely disappointed. I know he started his career at Liverpool, but he was made up to be back on his native Merseyside. Chance to sort of finish his career back home, playing playing for Everton and uh, going to the new stadium, and none of that's going to happen now. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd see what happens. I know Sheffield United been been linked, and you you noticed that he was such a popular guy at Wolves. I mean, there's still question marks there. Who knows? He might even end up back at, mm-hmm. at Molyneux next season. 
But yeah, I suppose I, I know a lot of people were saying, including our, our colleague Connor O'Neill, did a piece about it about how he felt and how he should have got that deal over the line. But I couldn't say I was majorly surprised about it, given that the way the season ended for Cody. Mm, mm. It's interesting. Mm. I kind of feel that I would have liked to have kept him. Uh, you know, I think he's you know, he's a good pro. He's someone that stays fit. Evans, so many so many of Evans' problems on the pitch recently have stemmed from you know not having cover whether it's injuries, um, and he's someone that's, that, that, that does stay fit. And he's someone that obviously he's a positive influence in the dressing room, and he's another he's somebody that also gives. And it looks like Sean Dyche would have preferred to play a back four. There's a lot of talk about Cody potentially being better in a five, and whether that's true or not. One thing he does. Do, as Evan did against Bournemouth on the final day is he's someone you've got in your locker that can you can make that change you can change formations and you've got someone that can come in trusted and do a job but where I would say I kind of I can see where the club are coming from is the fact that one area where they have a lot of players is centre-backs yeah. and it, it, it looks very much you know we asked Sean Dyche about summer plans and things like that after the Bournemouth game and he was saying that he didn't know what his budget was Okay, well, we probably know he has a rough idea what his budget is now. I haven't had a week since then to kind of start planning properly or move to stage two of preparing for next season. Uh, And it's looking like it's probably not going to be that much. I've in a situation, four and a half million pounds for for Cody as a package, I think in general terms is a bit bit of a bargain. I know players over 30 don't tend to move for that number, that amount of money, but what you do see is you see a lot of players 30, 31, 32 come to the end of their contracts and go for significant, big money moves where, you know, the the, the lack of transfer fee ends up being, you know, going to them in the, you know, signing on and their wages and things like that. Um, but he's only a bargain at four and a half million pounds if you've got a full spare four and a half million pounds to spare. Yeah. And I don't think that Everton have four and a half million pounds to spend on what could be, depending on how the summer unfolds, a sixth choice or, or one of a sixth centre back. Yeah. Uh, or it may be fewer than that now because obviously Mean is gone. But um, you know, you've got Tarkovsky, and Tarkovsky looks like he's now presently starting. You know, you've got Michael Keane. You've got Jared Branthwaite coming back from a very good loan spell at PSV. And then you've got Holgate and you've got Godfrey. So you've already got five options there. And I think if you're Sean Dice, you're looking at it and you're thinking, I'm going to have a summer where I'm, I'm, I've got to fill in some blanks on you know in this squad. Well, I've got five centre-backs there. Surely there's got to be a way in which I can find someone to partner with James Tarkovsky within that or move people out of the club. I wouldn't be surprised. Connor Cody at four and a half million pounds he may well still be available for something like that at the back end of the summer. It's almost, if Everton were to say, oh, we might cash in on Jared Branthwaite, you know, there's a lot of interest in him from other clubs, they might take the money for him. If they might find, say, someone for, you know, to take Mason Holgate, you know, there were clubs that were keen on Mason Holgate in January and Everton didn't want to go to them go because they didn't want to strengthen a rival because it was mainly bottom end of the Premier League that they were looking for. If, if all of a sudden a couple of them go and then all of a sudden, you know, you might get six million for Holgate, you might get 20 million for Branthwaite or whatever, and then you can bring in Cody for four and a half. That looks good business. But I think one thing that this can't, one thing that the Everton can't do this summer is they can't spend money, money before they've got it. And I think that's probably what triggering that loan deal would be a case of because they haven't end up in a situation where they do that and then they can't move anybody else on. It becomes very difficult. It's going to be interesting. You obviously mentioned Godfrey and Holgate. Let's see what he does there. Cause I'm not sure that Dice fancies them at centre-back either. Whenever Holgate's got minutes for Deitch, hasn't been at centre. It's been at fullback covering people. But even in the behind closed doors games when he's played him, he's typically played him defensive centre midfield, and that's clearly not another position. It isn't Mason Holgate. So, yeah. you know, it, it really is kind of a fascinating one to watch. But you know, they have need. They need at the very least. They need another left back, someone that can challenge Mikalenko. They arguably need a right back. I suspect Coleman will. I suspect Coleman will stay if he wants to stay. But even then, he's, you know, getting on, had a few injuries. Nathan Patterson, you know, looks a really promising young talent, but just can't get a, luck, a bit of luck with injuries. So you look at that and you think, well, you know, they could probably do with someone else at right back. And that's before you even get to, as Gav has already alluded to, things like your strikers and you, you know, the lack of creativity within that squad, the lack of goals within there. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. So, when you start piecing it together, you can already get to a scenario where you think, in an ideal world, you'd take Cody, 
and Everton will probably be stronger. We, you know, in terms of packages, you're probably not getting much of a better package for four and a half million pounds or something like Everton is um, this summer. But again, it's only it's only a good value if you've got the money to spend in the first place. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts and all that are, Gav. Where where do you where do you sit on the line there? I'm I'm with you. I, th- I think he's just a victim of financial circumstances, isn't he? Really, and it's not it's not really a, a reflection on his ability as a player and his professionalism. Really, it's a, it's a it's a it's a situation where two years ago, say, you would have been bought, wouldn't he? You would have spent four and a half million quid. Uh, but now, as you say, there's this. I suppose we're saying this. I haven't I haven't criticised the club all season. For saying why we've got six centre halves and no full backs and no striker, you know, you can't say now to say, Well, hang on a minute, we've not bought a centre half, you know, you've got sources elsewhere. So, yeah, it makes sense if you've got four and a half million pounds to spend to use it elsewhere. I think left back looks like a particularly vulnerable area for us at the moment. Be interesting to see what happens with Brantways as well. Um, and I think also as well, you know, we're talking about things happening to summon is we've got players who are out of contact, haven't we? Next. Summer is that right? Um, is it won't be out next summer? Is his contract up? Um, yeah, well, I mean, he's got... one of the ones, he's, he's, he's the third one, isn't he? The one that hasn't got over the line. There was the talk yeah. started probably around November last year, didn't it? And then Iwobi hasn't materialized into a new deal. Pickford eventually did, and obviously, Anthony Gordon didn't, and he ended up moving. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, it's, just, it's just making sure we, we protect the transfer fees with some players. I mean, that, that list is endless, isn't it? Of players who've spent 20 million plus on over the last six years, who've gone for the free, of which there are going to be players next year who are probably going to be in that list. I think Gomez will be one and Gabbana yeah, will it's be another. Interesting you say that, Gav, actually. Yeah. I mean, to what extent do you think this? I mean, this summer there's some really big decisions, probably not decisions to me. I think we could probably all guess what Everton would like to do, Gav. But one of the significant issues that Deitch is going to have to deal with is probably the return of some of those players that have been out on loan and are coming back in still on the contract and still on significant wages. Obviously, we've seen Gomez, you know, Gomez has had a good season out in France, but I think we've seen enough of him post-injury at Everton to suggest that there probably isn't a future for him in a Sean Deitch team. I think it's sad. We all know how good he was when he initially came to the club, but sadly, the you know, that, that injury that he suffered against Spurs has really did kind of set him back. I think his last involvement in Everton shirt was being withdrawn at half time for another of the players who falls into the same bracket, Deli Alley. Obviously, was the back end of the last. Deli Alley is another player coming back on big wages, still under contract. Can Everton find a suitor for him? And then the other one is obviously John Philip Gabam, and whose agent, I think, has suggested he won't be hanging around Everton. Yeah. But that only ever works if someone's willing to take some take him off him and pay his wages or pay a transfer fee or, or, or whatever. I mean, how big of a challenge do you think they're going to be for Deitch and Farwell to deal with, Gav? And is, is there yeah. any one of those three or any of the others that have perhaps been out of favour recently that you would consider giving a chance or hold any hope for? I think Abamon's ship is well sailed, hasn't he? I think he says he doesn't want to come back, doesn't he? I think they're right in saying that. Uh, Gomez, possibly... From Italy, Ali is has got this ten million quid or whatever hanging over us for for reaching a certain threshold of appearance, and so you would imagine that the that the, it goes back to the Cody situation, doesn't it? That financially, it doesn't make any sense for him to stay here. I'll be you know different because he's contracted to us, so he he would be need, need to move on somewhere. So I think it's just better management to the squad. You know that's you know that that's just going forwards about you know smarter management to avoid the situation going forwards where we have you know players who end up on a free. I mean, Mina's another one. Chris, we were speaking about Mina's contract two years ago, and about whether it should be renewed or not. Or I mean, saying that well, two years on from the end of his contract should be sold because we ended up letting them get go on a free. A player who still would probably command the fee if he was under contract. So I think um, it's just smarter, smarter operating in that area as well. But it's up to Thelwell, really. I really like Deli Ali. I like to think he could do a job for us. But it's this this finance deal, isn't it, with him that's going to cause a, a blockage there. Really, I think he finishes next year, doesn't he, Ali? Be two and a half year deal. Yeah. So it's going to be up to Thelwell. 
isn't it really? I suppose if you're looking at them, the one that's most likely to stay would be Gomez, wouldn't it really? Um, in a in a in a in a, in a you know in real in realistic world, if Kababa wants to go, we get a shooter. Deli Ali, hopefully, Gomez possibly could still could still do a job for you mm. as as a backup. Um, but um, I, that's it. That will have to do some wheeling and dealing there to say. But there's a lot of words being spoken since the end of the season about players coming in. There's enough work for the summer about Jackie players out of the club and you know on foreign fields, so that we're not meeting all their wage costs. That's going to be a challenge in the half in itself. You you forget about that, don't you? When you talk about directors of football and managers and stuff, it's not just about the players bringing them in. It's it's management of the players at the club that you need to shift around to avoid unnecessary cost. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I think we've already having having dealt with all the stress that Evan have put us under recently. You know, we're we're, we're back now, semi refreshed. I think that some of the some of the bags have gone from under our eyes. But we're heading right into that kind of familiar territory, certainly for the next few months, where it's the in the no season, where it feels like every <laughs> other tweet on the timeline is is Everton being linked or an Everton player being linked away, and spending the summer trying to work out what's going on, what's not, is uh, <laughs> always always a little bit of a challenge. Chris, is it as simple as saying that Everton need to start looking at fullbacks and strikers, or is there anywhere else that you think is is a particularly key point that that might look at? The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Rather than fullbacks and strikers, I say strikers and then fullbacks. <laughs> well, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I personally, I think the biggest challenge is what you've just been talking about is shipping off this deadwood. I think all of those players, even in an ideal situation, they're not getting into a Sean Dyche team. They've all failed under previous regimes. I'd include Gomez in that. Absolute liability off the ball, lovely fella, look easy on the eye, and you know all the Evertonians really admired him at first, but he's failed under a previous regime. He's not going to get into a Sean Dyke's team. Deli Ali, poor Deli Ali, it's it's a tragedy. It's an absolute tragedy. Uh, what's happened to his career, and you know how, how gifted an individual he is. It failed at Besiktas. Failed at Besiktas this season. He's not going to get. He's not going to be getting anywhere near a Sean Dyke team. Where would he even play him? And, and obviously, as we pointed out, the ten million pound thing means he, he can't really play him anyway. And uh, Gabamin, he was brought in, wasn't he? At great expenses, Adrissa Gay's um, replacement um, got to be go down as one of the biggest flops in in Everton history. Yeah, that, I, think, I think that's Felwell's biggest challenge this summer: mm-hmm. getting rid of the deadwood like like that. These players who've got a year left on the contract, but in terms of incoming, yeah. Never signed an appropriate striker. Last I after they signed Neil Mopey. Nowhere near being a like-for-like replacement for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And unfortunately, we saw those glimpses of Calvert-Lewin coming back. He was looking like his old self and really sort of galvanised the team and changed the way the team playing. Still got to be massive question marks, unfortunately, over Calvert-Lewin's fitness because Dykes played the long game, almost three months out to get him what he called properly fit. And then he broke down again before the end of the season. So, yeah, has to be strikers. Those forward positions, that's a priority. And, and then, like we say, the full-back positions, most, mostly left-back. Because you could put a, a case in, never mind, have somebody to sort of challenge Mikalenko for his shirt. Maybe looking for somebody to actually replace Mikalenko as well because he's not been entirely convincing himself. So, yeah, strikers and then full-backs. Mm. I suppose another interesting area that was clearly going to be ripe for a bit of change as well, and we've got to keep an eye on is, is the goalkeeping department because Asmir Begovic is a big loss from that. Uh, yeah. You know, like we've already said, probably about as able a number two as you could hope for. Came in when Pickford was injured and played against West Ham. Evans' first win of this Premier League season that was with Asmir Begovic in goal, and you know, typically he's done well when when called upon. There aren't many. There are a lot of experienced second and third choice goalkeepers out there, in fairness, but. You know, he is someone that you should, even if Everton was to say, it sounds like Sean Dyche has uh, acknowledged the suggestion that he might need to sell some of his better assets in order to potentially have any money to spend. Jordan Pickford up there is probably 
the most valuable in the sense of what he is for Everton, as well as the the fee that they'd probably be able to get for him. Obviously, we know Amadou Anana would probably go for good good money, but I think Jordan Pickford is more important to this Everton side than Anana is, yeah. as we've seen you know, evidence so clearly over, over, over recent years. But you think that if, if, say, for instance, they were to countenance an offer for someone like Pickford, well, if you, if you took the money, you wouldn't be clawing around thinking they desperately need to get another goalkeeper in first choice. You think, well, Begovic could do a job for a little bit while you have a little bit of time there. But without without Begovic, I mean, Andy Lonergan is the third choice, very well respected at the club. Alan Kelly likes him a lot. Um, and Sean Dyche has spoken to me about his the respect that he has for Lonergan. That's one of the reasons why he names on the bench even when there's Begovic already there, because he sees that, you know, he's a, he's, he's, a, he's a senior professional that's working hard at the training ground week in, week out. And if there's an opportunity to get him on the bench as well, it's almost a reward for some of that effort and hard work and a degree of respect that he's showing to him. But he's out of contract and obviously he's, you know, getting on a little bit now these days. And he probably isn't ever going to be in a situation, you struggle to see the scenarios in which he's going to get onto the pitch. Um, so there's a, there's a slot there, and obviously there's some young goalkeepers there: Jao Virginia, Billy Krellin, Harry Tyra, uh, Zanluk Leban, who's been in you know in, in sticks for for the under 21s for most of this season. So yeah, but it's a big leap for one of them. Um, you know, I've been speaking to Jao Virginia to be an interview in the Echo soon, and you know, he look back on his career; he's only 23 and played a Champions League football experience. He's played three times for Everton as well, so he's got the most experience of the lot, but there still is a big drop-off between, say, Asmir Begovic and, and any one of them. So, I mean, I don't know if... And Ev, I don't know if Sean Dice is looking there and, you know, hasn't got much money to spend and is... You know, it may well be a, a big opportunity there for some of the younger keepers to get a chance to to, to, to step up as well. Um, and then just some of the players that we haven't or we've just touched on, obviously, decisions to be made soon. Seamus Coleman out of contract fully expect him to be given the opportunity to stay if he wants to. And the other one you know, that, that we haven't mentioned so far is, of course, Tom Davis, who, you know, burst onto the scene against Manchester City all those years ago and looked so promising for so long. Been really unlucky with injury, I think. You know, when you, when you look back at some of the times in which he's been, even this season, just when there have been opportunities for him to gather a bit of momentum or make a case for a place in the side, he, he tends to have got injured. Um Gav, is it anything in particular that you do? What would you be your decisions on on Coleman and um, Tom Davis if you had the if it was you who's making the calls? Coleman, Keith, uh, definitely Davis. I think the fact that there's been no talk of a renewal indicates that they're quite happy to to let go. I think it'd be Tom's benefit for them to to move on. To be honest, you know he's got incest round here, but from a football perspective, he's still a relatively young lad. Got plenty of years left. I think he'll just want to be sitting out on the periphery of Everton, does he really? Um, I think the, the Bankovic one was disappointing, really, wasn't it? As you say, he's, I mean, he's, he played in goal against Newcastle when the will be scored, didn't he? That was another crucial win he, he played, didn't he? He's one of the better ones, better number twos. It just gives us, I'm not sure the circumstances, just gives us a, a headache that we don't really need to have. I'm just wondering about letting him go so easy. It means that Perhaps means that Pickford is definitely staying. Ego um, is what they call him on the uh, on the on the training ground, Gav. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When he backs um, so good at he's so good at um, heading heading the ball from the crosses to test Jordan Pickford with. All right, okay, good, good. Yeah, I was just thinking about uh, use the phrase based onto the scene there, Joe. Was that Michael Richards copyrighted that that quote? I think. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think his lawyers will be in touch. Uh, you know. No, but seriously, there's a, there's a lot of stuff to be doing here. Housekeeping, isn't it? You know, this goes back to what we were saying. Coleman, keep Davis, go. I think the goalkeeping, uh, you know what? I think there's a, there's a question here. If somebody said, yeah, there's 50, 60 million quid for Jordan Pickford, if he wants to go, of course, and it sounds like he's not in a rush to move, is you take it? That's, uh, that's the whole pod in itself, um, isn't it, really? And Because uh, that gives us some flexibility. But, yeah, Davis definitely go calm and stay. And um, the goalkeeping is a bit... It's an unwanted ache for us, isn't it, really? The number two. It feels like this is going to be a summer where it's just about... Yeah, you used the word earlier on in the pod, a, a summer of common sense, almost. Just dealing yeah, with the problems yeah. that you've got and then after you've done all that, working whether there's any room to expand on that, you know, 
you look at look at those centre backs that you've got and say, okay, you know, there should be some, there should be a way of working this out without spending four and a half million pound on Cody. Let's save the money and spend it somewhere else. Thing with Asmi, I mean, Begovic, we don't know because it could well he the club may well have offered him a contract and he's turned it down. Mm. It, you know, for all the reasons that we said, it's a shame to see him go. They're all perfectly valid reasons to suggest that he would get first team football somewhere else at this late stage yeah. in his career. So, so of course there is there is that to to think about. But it certainly, however it's transpired, it certainly creates a new problem in one of the few areas where there wasn't one. Because you know, you say two of the last three Premier League starts, the the, the one in the middle being the Arsenal in the last game of last season. You know, Begovic has stepped in in important games and kept clean sheets, hasn't he? And then you right. only have to look at. You know, the strength of when you see Jordan Pickford and, and, and everything that he's done for Everton, particularly under so much pressure in these last two years, that's all that's all that's that's all the end point. That's the the peak of of a mountain that's built on the firm foundations of Adam Begovic, Lonergan, and the goalkeeping yeah. coach Alan Kelly and those working around and there they all play a bit. I spoke to Alan and I know Chris has done this as well. Both spoke to Alan Kelly in recent months and he very much puts Jordan Pickford's brilliance down to his own individual brilliance but also down to the you know the challenge the competitiveness and the professionalism of that whole goalkeeping unit yeah yeah the back of it to show me that i'm saying on saturday he's the only premier league player i've had a lengthy conversation with him he's, he's a top man and he's a really intelligent guy and the type of people you want around the dressing room isn't he you know he's he's, he's a, a that phrase role model but he is isn't he and um yeah i think he's just had lost on and off the pitch really and it just gives us another another problem we don't need to have but yeah, it's I, I kept on hearing where it's like reset and all that last week. There's not going to be a reset of ever this summer or next summer. It's hopefully with good housekeeping, doing doing the simple things well and some sensible decision making for, for 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 very little outlay, we can go into next season in a in a stronger financial place and a stronger place on, on the pitch as well. Um but we need to work smart and we need to be coherence off it with proper proper leadership off the pitch as well uh, but I, it's down to Dyson Fairwell to me to, to, to work some magic um, over the summer months in the recruitment team Brilliant. Thanks Impact Gov. Right, well we're 10 minutes from the hour mark so I think we'll call it a day for that if, if you've missed us for the past week hopefully that satisfies some of the of the appetite and again we are, we are sorry for not having done anything last week, it feels like such an obvious thing to have done it just wasn't quite possible, and apologies for that. We are going to hope to keep to two podcasts a week throughout the summer, so there'll be plenty, because I think it's going to be a busy summer for Everton. Whatever happens on and off the pitch, I think there's going to be plenty to talk about. So our plan is to be back with you on Friday. We'll probably look to do a sort of a season recap, I think, go through some of the some of the highs and the probably re, maybe at that point nearly a fortnight on from Bournemouth would be a safe time to go back into some of the... Uh, the lows and the more difficult moments of it as well as we kind of discuss everything that's gone on. But look, thanks so much for your patience. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for following us all season. We really do appreciate it. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks for reading our stuff. Um, and if you carry on doing it, hopefully we'll have plenty to provide you with and keep you entertained over the summer. So thanks so much for joining us, everyone. Keep smiling. Let's hope you're getting some sleep now. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.